Chapter 6 Brain Surgery Images of blood and scalpels and delicate tissue. I didn't know if we could do it, but if we didn't, Axe would die. Let's move to the other side of the barn, I said. I want Axe to get some rest. That was true, but I also didn't want Axe to hear us start to freak, which I knew was about to happen. Good idea, Jake said. He pushed himself to his feet and started across the barn, Marco and Rachel following. I slowly pulled my hand free of Axe's, my fingers slick with his sweat. I'll be back in a little while, I whispered. Bless your baby bones. The words just slipped out of my mouth. It's what my mom always says to me when I'm sick. Poor Axe. He must really miss his mother right now. At least, when I'm not feeling well, I always like my mom making a fuss over me. And Axe was definitely not feeling well. I hurried over to the others and sat down on a bale of hay next to Rachel. I was tired. Okay, so, we kidnap a doctor and get him to do the surgery on Axe, Rachel burst out. And then what? I asked. She didn't answer. The answer was unacceptable. The only doctor we could trust with our secret was a doctor who quickly became dead. I'm going to take his temperature every hour, I said. We need to know when it drops down to 91.3. And then what? Rachel demanded, echoing my question. Then we get to play a live version of Operation. Except, if we make a mistake, Axe's nose doesn't light up. His tria gland explodes. Marco answered, his voice flat. That's supposed to be funny? Tobias demanded. Yeah, and you want another laugh? Marco shot back, angry. Tidwell saw Axe go Andalite tonight. We need to hear what Tidwell said, Jake told me. He scrubbed his face with his hands. His drawn, pale face. I pulled in a deep breath. Mr. Tidwell is part of the peace movement, I began. The Yurk inside him, Ilum had a message for me from Aftran. She's been captured. Sunday night, Visser 3 plans to interrogate her. Ilum wants us to rescue her. No way. It's a trap, Marco interrupted. If the Yurks already know who we are, why bother with a trap? Why not just come to our houses and kill us? We both turned to Jake. He rubbed his face again. Coming to our houses would be messy. Attract attention. Getting us all to the Yurk Pool is a decent strategy. Probably it is a trap, but we still have to go, Rachel said. Because if Tidwell, or Ilum, or whoever, is telling the truth, we're dead meat. Aftrin will crack when Visser 3 interrogates her, and she knows everything about us. Everything. Right, Cassie? She said acidly, looking angrily at me. I met her gaze without blinking. My voice was steady. That's right, I answered. I wasn't going to pretend that we wouldn't be in the situation if it wasn't for me. Marco had been about to kill Aftran, which meant killing Karen, too. I let Aftran into my own head 
to get her out of Karen's body. To save the life of a person I didn't even know, I risked the lives of my friends. I'm not all noble and wonderful. I did it because I was a coward. I couldn't take the life of that little girl or let Marco do it for me, even though I knew that by letting her live, a whole planet full of people might die, or worse, become infected by yurks. I risked all those lives on a pathetic little wish, a wish that together, Aftrin and I could make the first step toward peace between yurks and humans. My wish came true. Aftrin didn't turn me over to Visitor 3. She didn't use the information she found stored in my brain against me and the others. Instead, she chose to live life without a host, blind and almost immobile. My choice turned out to be the right one. Or had it. Rachel's right. We have to go in, Jake decided. Tonight, if it's a trap, they won't be expecting us this soon, since Ilum told us the visitor will be gone until Sunday. What about Axe? Tobias asked. That's another reason to go in tonight, I said. We can get back before Axe hits his crisis. We can't leave him in the barn, Jake pointed out. Cassie's dad comes in here all the time. Maybe we could fix up some kind of extra shelter around his scoop, Tobias suggested. I shook my head. Too damp in that field, I said. Eric, Marco said. The Chi owe us. Good idea, Marco, Jake said. Go. Now. Chapter 7 Marco morphed and took to the air. The rest of us watched Axe sweat and tremble. The Yurks have probably figured out how we got in last time, Rachel said. We need a new way in if we don't want to get ambushed. Maybe it would help if we go over everything we know about the Yurk pool security systems, I suggested. We know there's the Gleet biofilter and... Hunter-killer robots, Tobias added. It was never exactly easy, Jake said. But it's harder now. There has to be a way, Rachel said. We went over everything we knew and came up blank. And Axe still trembled. I checked my watch. Time was running out. My parents would be home soon. First thing my dad would do was come to the barn. Here comes Eric and Marco, Tobias announced at last. I glanced out the barn door. Eric and Marco, walking side by side, fast. If you saw Eric, you'd think he was just a normal kid. He looks kind of like Jake, actually, only a little shorter. But Eric's an android, part of a race called the Chi. And what you see when you look at him, that's just a hologram. Under the hologram... Eric looks a little like a robot dog, walking on its hind legs. This is a change, Eric said. I'm usually the one giving you guys some bad news. You want bad news? Rachel said. Eggs is no better, and we can't figure out how to get into the yuke pool. Do you know anything about Andalite physiology? I asked Eric. He shrugged, or at least caused his holographic self to shrug. Nothing. Are any of your people surgeons? I asked. Eric shook his head. The guy who plays my father? He was a doctor back in 15th century France. He knows nothing useful. Trust me. Eric, does a York pool have toilets? Marco demanded suddenly. 
Marco, not the time, Jake muttered. Marco, Rachel warned. Be useful, or shut up. Come on, it's practically like a city down there, Marco continued. They must have a place for the human host to take a leak or get a drink of water, he insisted. Sinks? Toilets? They've got the works, sure, Eric answered. The Chi are heavily programmed against violence, but that doesn't mean they don't hate the Yurks. And they are the best spies you can imagine. That means they have plumbing, pipes, and that also means we have a way into the Yurk pool, Marco announced. We morph into something small, something that can swim, climb in one of our toilets, have Eric give us a flush, swim a little, and come out in one of the Yurk sinks or toilets. Oh, yeah, that should work. Rachel said. What are you, nuts? The water pressure would be pretty hard to swim against, Tobias commented. Jake lifted his head. Not if we started from the water tower. Then we'd go with the pressure all the way. He started to sound a little excited. His eyes glittered. Eric, can you tap into the city water department computers? Combine it with... Jake sighed and wiped his mouth. Combine it with... Um, with all you know about the York Pool and, you know. And give you a map? Directions? Eric nodded. I can give you directions to any sink or toilet in the place. He pointed at the computer my father and I used to keep records on the animals. Mind? There's no modem, I said. Eric smiled. Not necessary. I can be a modem. Marco shot a triumphant glance at Rachel. See? Still think my idea is nuts? His face darkened. Wait a minute. It is nuts. What's the matter with me? Am I insane? Do we have a morph that could work? Tobias asked. Maybe cockroach, I answered. Jake shook his head. There's a lot of pipe between the water tower and the yerk pool. I know they don't need to breathe much, but they do need to breathe eventually. Tobias said, I have an idea. Eels. They have them in tubs behind the bait shop. They're thin, and they're pretty fast, I think. Tasty. When I made a face, he said, Hey, you think it's easy catching a mouse every day? Eels? Do it, Jake ordered. A second later, Tobias was gone. Come on, Eric. We'll show you Axe's stall where we want you to do the hologram. Marco said. Axe was asleep. He shuffled his feet in the hay as we crowded around the low stall door, but he didn't wake up. I did a quick temperature check on him. 95.7. Not much of a drop. Good. He wasn't close to the crisis point yet. I think the best thing is for me to stay in the stall with Axe, Eric said. I can project a hologram around us both. He slipped into the stall and closed the door behind him. A moment later, it was like he and Axe had disappeared. The stall looked completely empty. I leaned my head over the stall door. The air shimmered around me. Then Eric and Axe appeared. Thanks for doing this, Eric, I said. No prob, he answered. Don't you want a book to read in there? I asked. It's going to be boring. I have several thousand books stored in my brain. Sometimes I pass the time by seeing how many I can read and comprehend at the same time. Okay, 
Forget I asked. I pulled my head out of the stall. I took a closer look at the hologram protecting Axe and Eric. No wrinkle or ripple or shadow to make my dad suspicious. Unless he tried to go inside. He won't, I told myself. He'd be too busy taking care of all the sick animals in cages to go poking around in an empty stall. I hoped. I just had a thought, Marco said. I'll buy you a card to commemorate the moment. Rachel, of course. Marco didn't bother with a comeback. If Axe goes into delirious mode, he could go running into town with underpants on his head or something. Eric won't be able to stop him. He was right. The Chi aren't programmed for violence. Any kind of violence. I looked at Jake. When stuff like this comes up, we all pretty much look at Jake. Jake dropped his head back and closed his eyes for a long moment. Then, he made his decision. We've got to risk it. If something goes wrong at the yurt pool, it might take all of us to fight our way out. I heard the flop of wings. Something oily slithered down my shoulder, then plopped onto the barn floor. Sorry, Tobias apologized. I dropped that thing eight times on the way back. Lost the other one completely. Hence, slippery as an eel, Marco joked. By the way, what, with this being a crisis and all, I'm not even going to mention the sheer, bizarre, utter stupidity of taking a long ride through the city water supply. But, just for the record, this is insane. He picked up the eel and held it for a moment, absorbing its DNA. Then he handed it to Rachel. When she was finished, she handed it to Jake. He held it briefly, focusing, then passed it to me. Did you get it already? I asked Tobias. Yeah, he said. Eels, why didn't I just keep my mouth shut? Slimy little thing. Looks like a yerk. I glanced around the group. I feel like we're missing someone, I said. Then it hit me. Really hit me. Axe, we'd be doing this mission without Axe. Chapter 8 an hour later, Jake, Rachel, Marco, and I were treading water inside the water tower that sits in a corner of the mall parking lot, shivering in the cold water. You've seen the water towers I'm talking about. Usually painted sky blue, steel, four long legs, and a big steel tank on top. It was not high tech. Basically, they pump water up into the tower and gravity lets it run down to homes and businesses and girls' bathrooms at schools. It was dark in the tank, like being in a big swimming pool on the darkest night. Creepy. Except that this was the easy part. I kept repeating Eric's instructions. The precise number of large pipes, water mains, we'd pass by on left and right. The elbow turns. The main we had to turn into. Then, the downward elbow the smaller turnoffs, and finally, the long vertical drop that would signal we were descending to the yurt pool. It was too much detail. Axe would have remembered it all, but Axe wasn't with us. Okay, remember, the pipes are just a road. Lots of turns and twists, but if we follow Eric's instructions, we'll come out in a pipe that feeds directly into the yurt pool. The tap is almost always open. The yurt pool sludge is largely composed of water. Jake was trying to keep everyone calm. 
but he didn't sound too calm himself. Somehow, I'm gonna end up getting flushed, Marco said grimly. There is going to be flushing involved. Let's just do this, Rachel yelled impatiently. She sounded cold. I could barely see her in the faint light from the access door we'd left open. I turned my attention to the eel DNA inside me. The sound of my teeth chattering distracted me a little. Then, the sound changed. It became higher and lighter. That's because my teeth were changing, multiplying, growing longer and thinner and razor sharp. Morphing is totally unpredictable. It's not like your body starts changing with the top of your head and goes on down to your toes, or that your whole body changes altogether, like a movie in slow motion. It's grosser than that. Weirder. Stuff pops out. Like the long, narrow fin that had appeared all the way down Jake's back. Other stuff disappears, like Rachel's blonde hair, which just got sucked into her head like a whole bunch of spaghetti into a very hungry mouth. Popping and shrinking is only part of the deal. My eyes shrank and rolled down to the tip of my nose. My nose and chin stretched out, 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 around my new needle teeth. My forehead collapsed. My bones liquefied, and my body caved in on itself until it was pencil thin. Arms collapsing into my sides, legs withering away completely. I felt a tickly, itchy feeling as a long fin sprouted all the way down my back and gills opened up behind my mouth. Teeny tiny scales popped up all over my new body, like goose pimples. Then, an oily, slippery goop drenched me, oozing from my own body. Everybody done? Then let's book. Straight out the hole in the bottom. Jake ordered. I caught a flash of movement to my right. Food! Live food! Zip! Chomp! Hey! That would be my tail! Whoever just bit me, get a grip, Tobias complained. Man, for a scrawny little thing with a pencil body, eels are aggressive. The eels' instincts were telling me to bite anything that moved and ask questions later. And eat. I wanted live food. Then, chomp. Sharp teeth bit into my midsection. Okay, everyone stop biting, I yelled, including me. I clamped down on the eel brain, pushing the simple, screaming instincts away. No biting, I told myself. No biting. But then, something moved and... No! I stopped myself in the nick of time. I am one mad little worm, Rachel said with a laugh. This eel has serious attitude. Let's just go, Jake said. I began to move with a fluid shimmying motion. Muscles stretched on one side, tightened on the other. My body went left, right, left, right. My tail whipped back and forth. Down and down. Maybe just thirty feet to a human, but a long dive to an eel the length of someone's finger. And, as we descended, I began to feel the current. We were at the bottom of a huge sink. We were going out through the drain. The water began to rotate. Or tornado. Around, around, faster and faster. Then, suddenly, whoosh! Straight down at a million miles an hour. 
Hello, Phantomorphs, and thank you for listening to another episode of Audiomorphs, the Animorphs Auditory Experience. As always, this is your host, Daniel. Uh, thank you for listening to the episode. I have a couple messages here. Uh, these both came in through the Gmail. That's audiomorphscast at gmail.com. Uh, this first one is from Cal um, that reads, Hi, Daniel. I'm Cal, and I have been an Animorphs junkie since I was in elementary school. I recently started to collect the series since when I was younger, my parents didn't want me reading the books. I started listening to them recently while I'm at work. Each episode is basically the perfect amount of time for me to do what needs to be done before we open for the day. I end up re-listening to episodes on slow days, typically the full books. My boyfriend usually asks me if I can tell him about the next next Animorphs book. Uh, Then parentheses, I think he's only heard up to 24 while I'm enjoying the most recent episodes, (laughs) haha. I, re- uh, I really identified as Axe and Tobias as a kid, and honestly, Axe is also my boyfriend's favorite too, lol. I saw the icon for the show, and I wanted to draw something based off it. Fan art, if you will, lol. I'm not too sure how an Andalite would handle a microphone, but this art is all in good fun. Thank you for helping me re-listen to something that is so near and dear to me in my childhood. I hope to keep listening to the end of the series. Uh, thank you so much for writing in, Cal. Uh, I actually emailed back to Cal to ask if it would be okay to post this art um, on Twitter because I think it's super, super cool. Um, This is, I think, the first time I've ever gotten fan art. Um, And that's a very weird and kind of surreal feeling. But um, also, this is a really cool photo. I I am actually quite taken by this this image. I think it's really cool. Uh, I just noticed now the little details. Uh, there's some stickers on the microphones for like Cinnabon and an alien. Um, all very cool. All very cool. I, I quite enjoy this. Uh, thank you so much for writing in, Cal. Thank you so much for giving me uh, this very neat piece of artwork. Um, and I appreciate it. <laughs> there's a uh, the shift tone slightly. This next email is from uh, Lucas of the Ballad of the Seven Dice, who's written in before. Uh, Lucas writes in saying, Hey Daniel, hope you're doing well. I just caught up with book 28 and I had an interesting thought with it. This is a bit of a bummer thought, so it's okay if you don't read it out for the others. I am going to read it out, um, but just um, kind of a warning here, right? This is about book 28, which we uh, was the previous book uh, with the Slaughterhouse. This is going to be discussing, um, not in any sort of graphic detail, but we're going to be discussing animal death, right? So that is a content warning up front. Um, for the rest of this message. So skip forward uh, like 30 seconds if you don't want to hear that. It, it, I read it. It's not graphic. It is a little sad. Um, all right. So the rest of the message reads, The whole fight against the Yurks feels justified as they are taking over sentient species, using, this, uh, using the skin suit as they please, and then they essen- essentially enslaving slash killing a species. I feel like whoever wrote that one was trying to say a similar thing with humans and livestock. Of course, it's different as they are not uh, as sentient as humans, but I think we are far enough along in our understanding of animal sciences that we know that cows are fairly empathetic and can be smart. The Yurks see us as lesser beings who are too dumb slash lowly to stop them and, u- uh, and use us as a resource. People often, people often uh, think the same with livestock. This is a little sad, so you don't need to read this on the show. Uh, And here again, this is where it's about to begin. One last warning. Uh, But I had a friend who worked at a slaughterhouse for a bit, and he said the thing they never tell you is that some of the animals tear up 
as they are getting close and panic. Whether this is from stuff getting in their eyes, or from them knowing, I don't know. But it sure turned him vegetarian, and has me not eating a lot of meat. Uh, so I feel there is a certain monstrous aspect and hypocrisy they were trying to say about humans in that book. All that being said, I've been loving the episode so far, and I'm excited to dive into book 29. Signed, A Mostly Vegetarian Human, Lucas. Um, didn't know about the slaughterhouse thing, that's very sad. <laughs> and that's an interesting perspective, because I don't think it came through very strongly within the actual text. I feel like, subtextually, I agree there is a parallel there that um, I, I do think could be compelling, right? I I think it gets kind of close, but um, I've, I've been having a lot of Cassie discussions in these Facebook groups. Um, Facebook groups, I'm in one, and, uh, but... Uh, Cassie comes up as a topic of discussion a lot. A lot of people don't like Cassie. Um, and something that a lot of people uh, say regarding Cassie is that Cassie kind of ends up being the moral mouthpiece for Kay Applegate. And so um, sometimes, almost to a frustrating degree for some readers, uh, Cassie is usually validated in her uh, choices. Um, and so, like, for example, here, you do kind of get Marco calling her out on uh, her her hypocrisy here but uh i feel like they also make marco like a real jerk about it and so then like the criticism uh loses kind of a little bit of its uh rhetorical power there right um and so yeah i do think there could have been a parallel here i do think it gets underplayed possibly because uh cassie is best girl um and isn't allowed to be uh wrong i don't know that i even agree with that reading by the way that is just um, an interpretation I've heard repeated a lot recently. Um, for example, I think people maybe don't remember uh, the current book we're on um, super well, where she explicitly says, I did this because I was a coward, and um, this wasn't like a, a I'm not validated in, in doing this. I This could have ruined everything. Um, I don't know. I like Cassie a lot, is the end of that thought. But... Um, I I don't know that uh, I read the Yurks as seeing the humans as uh, lowly in the sense of like being technologically inferior or like intellectually inferior um, to Yurks. I I read it much more in which I guess is still works, but like uh, in I read it in two ways, right? I read it uh, one, it's a fascist empire, um, and so those that aren't within. Uh, the in-group are automatically denigrated as inferior um, because that does then justify you waging war against them. The other thought I have is that um, it doesn't super matter if uh, rhetorically if they're inferior because uh, they need them to like see and stuff. So it's like sort of a um, kind of what Aftran was getting at um, in book 19, right? It's, it's our biological right because this is how we evolved and we can't help that um either way yeah i, I, I think the parallel still works though um that's that's uh <laughs> i guess the last thing i'll say is um yeah there's a lot there's a lot of good points for vegetarianism <laughs> um and i think that the the trope of the militant vegetarian is basically not real anymore um i think PETA is really responsible for that and i don't think PETA speaks for anybody but PETA. Um, and I also think there aren't, I don't think they care about animals, guys. I think, I think it is a money-making front. Um, but, you know, 
I, I don't feel qualms with an animal having to die so that I can eat. I do think that uh, the meatpacking industry uh, is not ethical, for sure. Uh, the, the way those animals are treated is not humane or, um, you know, really kind of respectful, which is what you want to be when you take something's life in order for you to live, right? You want to respect that. That's a sacrifice that you are making for them on their behalf, on your behalf. Um, and you want you you want to treat the animal humanely and with respect, right? Um, for them giving up their life so that you can eat, uh, and that's certainly not happening in uh, in the meatpacking industry. Uh, oops, uh, still gonna eat a burger though. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but I, I certainly understand where vegetarians are coming from. Uh, not a lifestyle uh, I can do. Although I I do eat less beef than before um the methane from cow production is super not great for the environment and also cows are you know um and all of that um you know you don't have to have meat with every meal i guess i don't know uh that's my thoughts uh that's also all the messages i got so um if you'd like to write in uh, and tell me i'm right or wrong or uh anything else uh, you can do that through that email. That's once again, audiomorphscast.gmail.com. You can do it on Tumblr. That's audiomorphscast.tumblr.com. You can do it through my website. That's theapocalypse.com, uh, which is apocalypse, but with a D in the middle. Uh, and then, of course, you can tweet at me. Who doesn't uh, love to get tweeted at? Uh, that's at audiomorphs. That's where you should check also if uh, the episode's ever late. Uh, also, I'm going to start doing that on Tumblr because who knows how long uh, Twitter's going to be around. Um, but other than that, thank you for listening, and I will see you all next week. My name is Daniel, and I believe one day the Andalites will come. Until then, we fight.